this is it. This is it to episode number 216. What? Yes. 216. No laugh track podcast. This is Justin Severson, the host. Thank you, Circle of Heat, for letting us play your music there at the beginning. As always, I uh, I'm gonna just uh, I'm gonna admit something right now. I a lot of times. Let's see. So 216. I've recorded of these. Even more because we've lost some with bad audio. I'm I'm not nervous talking to my guests today, but I'm sort of a little bit intimidated because I've been a fan for so long. I'm going to be honest. Here's Todd Glass with me sitting on... I just came and saw him Tuesday night. I have your CD from like 15 years ago, Todd. Which like, Do you mind if I ask which one? Uh, Thin, Thin Pig. Thin Pig, yeah. yeah. Thin Pig wasn't as long. Thin Pig was probably Ten? like maybe eight years ago. Okay. So even seven. And then... And then there was the one before that. But, um, uh, you know, I, everybody gets that way. You know, if I'm around somebody that I like what they do or their work or whether it's, uh, you know, you get a little bit of self-aware. But you got nothing to worry oh, good. about. Okay, good, 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 good. I'm good, all good. good. You seem nice. Are you a stand-up? Nope. No? We can get that out there because a lot of people, uh, when guests come in here, they, they just assume because I'm hosting a uh, podcast at yeah. a comedy club, I must be a comic. How did you get in No, there? I am not a comic. I had a job in radio. For 15 years mm-hmm. in Minneapolis here. Actually, we have crossed paths. You used to come in studio at the radio station I worked at. Uh, that's how I got a copy of your book that's in my bag Look right at now. you. You do and, your homework. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I've been a fan Justin, for a while. Justin, right? Justin, yep. Okay, I, cool. uh, I worked in radio. They wanted to do a podcast here, and they wanted someone that wasn't a comic. And I was already coming to shows here. They knew I was a big comedy fan. They're like, hey. Would you be Do interested? It. Yes, I'm very interested. You mean to come to Acme, my favorite place, it's... and talk to comics that people would pay tons of money to have the opportunity I'm having? Yeah, yes, I would love to. Yeah, this yeah. is, you know, I just told Lewis, I was like, oh, I'm tired of complimenting you, but I'm really not. I <laughs> thought maybe he was tired of hearing it. Um, but this is a special place, and I, I don't think it's good enough on stage, not good enough to just tell the audience that, hey, this is a great club, because they think you're just saying it. Yeah. you got to let them know. Like, I want them to go out here and go, Oh, that guy was being genuine. Like this really is a special place. You know, who, you know who may ruin that is uh, rock and roll stars when they come to every town. You know, hey, we love you, Minneapolis. <laughs> well, you're in St. Paul, first of all, right. dumbass. <laughs> uh, so no, you're getting it all wrong. But I, I, you know, and I hear it here hosting the show. We I've people that repeat uh, comics that have been down doing you know shows for tw- 20, 25, 30 years, mm-hmm. like you have, and come in here and speak very highly of it. So. It's just you know, last night somebody, which rarely people. People do. Someone out there goes in the bar after the show. They're like, why? And I go, you know, I could give you details of why, uh, specific things. But I said, I think the main thing is, after doing this so many years, that I think I figured out a cleaner way to say it. Look, in a comedy club, there are two things. There's the comedy club. And then, yes, they do make money off of food and drinks. Mm -hmm. But... The comedy is why they're there. So when you have a club owner that likes comedy, respects comedy, cares about comedy, you tend to make choices on a nightly basis that make the show better. In other words, some club might have a table of eight and they're buying a lot of drinks and maybe times are tough. I get it. I mean, I don't get it at the end of the day, but I get it why someone can make a bad decision. They don't want to throw out a table. They're drinking. Mm -hmm. But Lewis doesn't care. He like, you you come in here, you respect the show, and um, if a table's making a lot of noise and that means he'll make $242 less that night because they're getting kicked out, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, it's done very well. And the staff, and, and they just... That's what it is. They, you might think, wait, there's clubs where someone on staff doesn't care about comedy? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, they don't love it. Yeah. Uh, but when you can tell when you get to a club and, and uh, you know, this club is just something special. I got here two days early. Yeah, I heard. I got here Sunday. Oh, for, Sunday. I, I got here Sunday. That. I heard you were here Monday for the open mic. I did, but I got here Sunday because I'm like, well, I could go home for three days or go to my favorite place in the world three days early, and that's what I did. I came. No kidding. Yeah, and I went out with some, you know, I have some friends I know just from when I'm here. Yeah. And, uh, and then I came Monday for the, uh, for the open mic night and... Just is just so much fun. There's always so many great comedians. Anyway, there's my rant. I was talking to Brandon, who's you know bartending today. Yeah, I saw him, and uh, he said he ran into you at the at a pizza place on Monday night. (laughs) I did. That's right. We all went to. uh, what was the name of that place? Pizza Luce. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. You don't think you're going to get great pizza. But it was very late. Yeah. And then we went to these like railroad tracks, and like it was like stand by me. You had to walk across the railroad tracks before you got to this area my friend took me to, and where you could like sit and then look at the city. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't know, know where the hell it was, but it was either. like, yeah. But we, we had like pizza, and we were smoking a little bit of uh, the uh, the stuff. Yeah. And um, so I've enjoyed myself here. What uh, when do you when was the first year you came to Minneapolis? I Acme? think Acme it was well I came before and I worked another club and you know I learned something by that that changed my perception on comedy blaming it on the city. So if I would have just worked the other club and uh, that's all I would have said oh Minneapolis the crowds aren't. Not that you knew if there if there's a room full of three hundred when you say the crowds are bad, it doesn't mean that there weren't seventy five people in that audience that were loved comedy, but it means the masses. Yeah. You would have just left and went, Yeah, Minneapolis, man, those crowds are not smart. Cause I would have I thought that but it was the club. It wasn't the city. Okay. And I only learned that because all of a sudden someone mentioned Acme. It started coming up a lot, like, oh, you never worked Acme, you never worked Acme. And this could be 20 years ago. And I said, I hadn't. And I came in here, and no bullshit. It was like, what the fuck? These great audiences. So from then on, I never said, oh, no, it's not the city. Yeah. It's how that club. You can either run a club that draws people that love comedy and treat it like the theater, or you can run a club that you can do somewhere in the middle. You can be a horror. Not every club that isn't the best club in the world isn't the worst club in the world. Yeah, but they're point. in. The, they're on the range, mm-hmm. so they're on the scale. So you know, here and I was like, oh, so it's not Minneapolis. And now I know that in every city, if, if I'm in a club and the audience sucks, I go, oh, it's not the city. It's the it's the uh, it's the club. Gotcha. I uh, maybe have you heard of the it's 25 years this year. I know. And there's, they've just actually it's sold out already. There's going to be a big show coming up. Next I know month. all the all the people that started here that are now headlining. Yes. and they were listing off some people, and some of them I knew. Oh yeah, I thought they were here. I knew they were from like Chad Daniels. Chad. I forgot Chad's from here, mm-hmm. uh, and then also like Nick Schwartzen is from here. Yeah. Not they didn't say he'd be here. They were just talking about right. the comedians that were from here, and uh, I didn't realize how many comedians. Uh, one of them was on. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting her name. She was on Conan. Mary Mack. Mary Mack was on yes. Conan a few nights ago. Last, last night. night. Last yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. My I heard. She, I didn't see it, but I heard she killed it. Absolutely killed it. Yeah. yeah even got like uh, you know kind of got sidetracked and made a comment to uh, Andy and yeah. Conan during the set. Comfortable. So, that's so good. Comfortable. I love that. Yeah, everybody's really proud of her. We, that's uh, Since I'm mentioning that now, I do want to mention that our, another one of our local guys that's part of that 25-year sh- show, Cy Amundsen, is getting mm. his half hour. They're playing it Friday night at Comedy Central. Oh, oh he has a Comedy Central half hour? Yes. See, that's... You know, you know what? Big week. I, again, let's go back real quick to... When there is a club that... I think most people that... That uh, run a club right, it's because they have an initial love for comedy. Uh, But 
it is also it's also a good business move. I don't think Lewis did it for a good business move. I just think Lewis cares about comedy and he mm-hmm. innately knew what's going to make a room great, yeah. you know. And uh, but it also breeds a lot of great comedians. You'll notice in cities where there's a club that cares about comedy, gives a shit about comedy, that they breed a lot of great comedians yeah. because they bring in a lot of great comedians. And that, therefore, if you're 20 and you go to see a show at Acme and there's someone up on stage, like whoever, and you're going to be like, wow, that's the type of comedy I would want to do. So you'd be more apt to try it because, you know, that club houses that mm-hmm. type of performer. So it breeds a lot of great comedians. So it's like the same thing with Atlanta. Like, there's so many great local comedians that are ready to, you know, move on to wherever they're going to move on to. But I think it really does have to do with that there's this club in the city that nurtures comedians, treats them with respect. And I think that has to do with why there's so many great comedians coming out of Minneapolis. There's a guy who, Caleb? Caleb Sign. Yeah, he isn't. He, he's from Atlanta, yeah, right? Uh, uh, Caleb is from, uh, and I, you know what? I have a, uh, just because I have a problem with certain words like syphilities or s- facilities, I have a problem <laughs> with, I know Caleb really well. We're I know very you close do. friends. Yeah. And um, we hang out a lot together, but I, I, when I say his last name, the people are like, well, you don't. C- Caleb Sion, yeah. right? Uh, he's from, and he just uh, was on Conan. Yeah. And he's from Atlanta, mm-hmm. and there's so many others from Atlanta. He that's was here wh- just in the last, I got to meet him a couple months Did ago. Did he perform? He yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's great, and, and uh, you know, there is, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> uh, I know another guy, I, um, who was I going to say? We, we both forgot. Yeah. Let's just move on. Okay. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, I'm, I have a copy of your book. I listen to your podcast. I don't know where to begin. There's so much stuff I want to talk about, Tom. I'm all, I'm all, I'm all talk. Um, let's Wait, go that doesn't this. sound good. It means I'm all ready to you're, talk. You're all ready to talk. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, no, you know what I want to do? Because uh, it stood out at the beginning of the night uh, when I came to the show Tuesday. Oh, doesn't matter. I was going to remember what I was going to say. Go ahead. Because <laughs> I get into, I always say yell for the person you can't, that, you have to yell for the, the other group. Like, you have to stick up other groups. A young comedian can't walk around and go, comedy is great. But I can because yeah. I'm, I'm a guy who's older now that can defend young comedians. And it's not me. I'm not defending myself. Right. So what else would I defend them for? And I do meet a lot of comedians, some that I started comedy with. And now who knows what they're doing. Maybe they haven't been around stand-up. And they always want to tell you, stand-up's not like it used to be. And I know one thing for anybody. And why do I say this? Because it probably feels good for a young comedian to hear it. I know when I was... 18 and I heard all the comedians like Steve Allen, you know, hey, I hope he's not in any pain wherever he's resting. I don't know. But all he did in his later years was talk about how shitty comedy was, Okay, how shitty comedy was. And then I heard another comedian. Um, I don't remember his name, but he said basically in a Comedy Central interview, and he was probably like, you know, 65 at the time. And he goes, look, there was always good comedy and there was always bad comedy. End of story. Not romancing that comedy's over. Like, of course it's moving forward. That's how life goes. Yeah. Richard Pryor or or any of these guys that are wherever they're at, if they did have a, if they could hear, they don't want comedy to have ended. George Carlin doesn't want if someone goes, hey George, where's, you know, he's up, you know, I don't know where people go, but we're so used to talking that way. Someone goes, hey, how's comedy? It never evolved past you. 
That's not going to put them in a good mood. They would love to hear, hey, how's comedy? Yeah. Richard Pryor or George Carr or Mitch Hedberg. How's comedy? Oh, you'd be so proud. It's great. I was in Atlanta. I was in Minneapolis. There's so many young, funny comedians taking comedy in different directions. That's what they would want to hear. You're not giving an homage to them. And I know one thing about people that think comedy is over. Like, they, it's not what it used to be. And music is over. Oh, you don't fucking go out and see it. Mm-hmm. You're watching it on television. You, you glance in and you don't see it. You're not out. People go, oh, music is what it used to be um are you going to these niche little places where cool new bands are playing yeah. oh you're not so what the fuck why are you just talking <laughs> do you go out uh when you're young you go out five nights a week to cool little niche venues you know because that's what you do when you're older are you going out once a month oh not even once a month once a year so never okay <laughs> so we should definitely shut up and listen to your right. dissertation on where music or stand-up comedy yeah. is that's all i wanted to say <laughs> i agree <laughs> I agree. And you and if you know that you can learn definitely from new guys. Yeah, you're working with a couple good ones this week. Yeah, I'm working with Mike and uh Earl, Earl Elliot and Mike yeah, Lester. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mike Lester and and, uh, and Earl Elliot and uh it's it's just so great. It's nothing better. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like being in like 10th grade and you meet new friends, you know, and then you're like just for 6 days and at the end of those 6 days you're like best friends yeah. and you are, mm-hmm. you know. So it's good, good fun. It's interesting that you use that analogy reading your book and how uh, you, much you hopped around in school. I did. Thank God it got me. They, they, I, I would always tell people that, like, because my parents moved so much. Well, we would either stay in the same house. Uh, and for no reason. My dad was in the wholesale shoe business. But my mom, you know, they, they just would get bored, you know. And uh, they would move. And, and uh, so we would either, I'd either, if we did stay in the same house, I went in and out of different types of special schools. Because uh, they didn't really know about dyslexia back then. Yeah. So I would, like, go to, like, a regular school. But then I'd get moved to a resource room within that regular school, which was the worst. Yeah. Because you had to leave the resource room and be seen. <laughs> <laughs> and we had, we had a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Worth. You know, she was really sweet. And she came to my show about five, six years ago. And I and she couldn't believe I remembered all this stuff. And I'm like, I remember one time we were really being obnoxious. And uh, she goes, you know what? I let you guys into that hall. Before. She would let us into the hall three minutes before the bell rang. So no one would see us coming out of the resource oh. room. She was not because I think you should be embarrassed. Because I know you are. That's a treat. Wow. She goes, now, and then one day, she would always say she wasn't going to, she goes, you won't get out into that hall. And then one day she was like, that's it. You can leave with everyone else. That's a treat. I want you to turn around. Give me a treat. What do I want as a treat? A well-behaved class. You didn't give it to me. You know, we both give each other treats. You don't want to give me a treat. I don't give you a treat. She goes, you're not, you can go walk out. And then 30 seconds before the bell rang, she goes, get out of here. I'll figure another way to punish you. (laughs) And we were like. And I told her, she goes, she goes yeah, you, that wasn't the only time I ever did that. Right, right. But she goes, I can't believe you remember that. Mrs. Worth. That's awesome. Yeah. But, you know, people always, um, you know, oftentimes they go into the same business as one of their parents. Like, my dad was a doctor. I'm a doctor. Uh, like, my dad, personally, was a teacher. At one point, I considered being a teacher. And then I fucked up and got in radio. <laughs> now that's done. Uh, shoe, uh, re- uh, wholesale shoes? Was that something that could have been passed down to you or a family member? You know, my parents didn't know what I was going to do, but wholesale shoes... You know, 
I guess so. For a while, even I thought maybe I could do it. I would go to shoe shows with my dad when I was like 12 or 13. And that's where you can imagine there are just, um, just it's, you know, like a convention. And there's booths set up all over and people that own shoe stores. My dad owned like a warehouse like right. that would supply shoe mm-hmm. stores with shoes. And uh, But then there were also people like Nike there and Puma and Adidas. And this, this guy from Puma... Like even I asked my mom years later, like, remember that guy from Puma? Do you think he really was? She goes, yes, he thought you. He, I would just go by to the Puma place and just like talk to them. But I was like twelve or thirteen, and uh, he's like, they said, you know what? You want a job? You wait this many years. You, I ain't going nowhere. You call me. So I could have, you know, he just thought. And now I see young kids that are like twelve or thirteen. I guess I know what he meant. Now back yeah. then I was like, oh, he's just saying that. Yeah, yeah. But I meet thirteen-year-old kids. I'm like, you are going places. Yeah. That brilliant mind and just this excitement for life. You just—they're young adults, but they're also adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you want to like, you know, hire them for your company, but also mush their face because it's so <laughs> adorable. You know. Have you ever? Has anyone ever pointed out to you someone that was around when you were? 10, 11, 12, around that age, that uh, when they noticed you had a sense of humor? That was the big, you know, it's funny, no one ever reached out and said, you're going to be okay, because with all the dyslexia, but they laughed at me, and that meant then the world to me, and now even more. Like, I did bits with my teachers, and I was failing out of every grade, but this teacher, Mr. Beck, and this other teacher, Mr. McElroy, there was someone smashing the school with eggs, and we, the three of us, all we did when we met, like we would go out, you know, if they had like, they had to watch the lunchroom, mm-hmm. you know, the teachers are assigned sure. different duties sometimes. Monitors. Monitors, right. Yeah. So I would go and we had all these bits we would do and we were writing like a play that was like, of course, just silly. Yeah. But they knew I was funny. And also I laughed at them because they were funny. Yeah. And uh, that was my savior. Making, of course, making my parent. My mom laugh was the best. Yeah. And I would get her laughing so hard, so hard. I have, uh, I have two kids, Todd. They are, they are ten and eight. And I've noticed in the last few months. I mean, it's been that drastic. My daughter cracking jokes and trying to make me laugh. And the, and if you and the make- first. Two dozen or two times, I they all went over my head, and I try to correct her with something she was saying. She's like, "Dad, I'm making a joke. I know, like I'm being, you know, I'm, she's being ironic about things, but doesn't know." Right, irony. right, right. How old is she? Ten. Oh, it's great. Yeah, they start young with sense of humor. I noticed like uh, some of my friends that have kids, you know, at that age, you they get it. They really do get yeah, it. Yeah, and it's not just the, oh, kids say cute things and make me no, laugh. No, no, no. It's she's attempting to make humor, to produce humor. Yeah, no, yeah. they get it. They get it at a very young age. That's why I say don't underestimate the intelligence of kids. Everybody knows that phrase, but if you don't apply it, you can end up looking like a buffoon because there is a 10-year-old making a judgment on you, and they yeah. are right a lot of times. Mm-hmm. They are right. I remember. How do I know? Because I don't think I'm anything that special. I was a 10-year-old kid, and I remember things that adults said, and I remember, like, rolling my eyes Uh you know and uh so that's what you know that's what kids do they they make assessments on adults yeah were there were there comedy fans in your house stand-up comedy well in hindsight but back then i didn't realize there used to be a show i realized this years later there uh there was a show back a long time ago called fernwood tonight yeah and it was fred willard uh martin mole uh, a lot of other people too. There was a band leader called Happy Kind. Every time they cut to him, he was never really looking up or smiling. And um, and then I thought that was a parody of talk shows, basically, yeah. forty years ago. A parody of talk shows. You know, you'd think really and. Uh, 
my dad loved that show. My dad loved that show. So your yeah. dad probably, too, had a sense of humor. I don't think you watched that show. I don't think it was for the masses, if I'm, I'm guessing this, because it was so niche, if yeah. that's the right word. So in hindsight, I'm like, oh, my dad had a good sense of humor, and he liked Don Rickles, and, uh, but my brother was the first one, I think, to bring home a George Carlin album okay. when he was super young. And I didn't really know what he was talking about, but uh, I liked the rhythm, and when I did understand, I... I, I I understood what comedians were saying. It made sense to me in my mm. mind because they were... And that's how I learned a lot of the stuff I learned from comedians because they said it in a different way sometimes. I learned all the stuff I know from comedians or teachers that had a great sense of humor. Like my history teacher, Mr. Palladino, he would... He, I mean, he was just... He, had the, he just told stories and he was great. And, and uh, he would do this thing if anybody came in late. I mean, you never forget this stuff. Mm -hmm. If anybody came in late, he would tell the whole class to do this, and we all knew it after a while. We would all wipe our mouths, like picture taking your fingers and like wiping the corners of your mouth. He goes, we'd all be like, whoa, those donuts were so good. <laughs> Mr. Paladino, I can't believe you brought donuts for everybody. <laughs> what he goes, a oh, I had a powdered one. And then the other kids in the class would be like, oh, those jellies were delicious. You know? <laughs> That's and, great. Uh, yeah, that was a bit. So I learned from him, or, or comedians especially, because I understood what they were saying. Yeah. You know, if they were just being silly, oh, and of course I like all types of comedy. Comedy, then mm -hmm. that was just great because I loved it. But if they were comedians that did tackle social issues or political issues, it, I understood it. I was like, wow, this makes sense to me. And obviously, in hindsight, I know why. Because they were clean with their thoughts. Yeah. They said it in a way that I could grasp it and wrap my head around mm -hmm. it. So, because uh, they were all well thought out before you heard them. Probably, yeah. too. Yeah, they, they, uh, they did the groundwork at mm -hmm. clubs, and I was seeing them on TV yeah. at that point. Yeah, uh, do you... So, obviously... Anyone who knows anything about Todd Glass, as you've mentioned his name a few times already, knows you're a big George Carlin fan. Do you see what's there's a what's coming out tomorrow? No, I don't. What he has an, an album is coming coming out tomorrow. Oh, is that true? Yes. Wow. This is just uh, something when I was doing a little research for the podcast today. This is a story that was posted this morning, uh, and the headline got my attention. In 2001, George Carlin tested the winds of history with a fart joke. <laughs> And then this is all about, uh, and you probably know this, he recorded two Las Vegas shows, September 9th and 10th, 2001. Do you know about this? No, I didn't know that. Okay, he, he, uh, it was recently unearthed by the, his daughter Kelly. Kelly Carlin. Yeah, uh, and now we have, I kind of like it when a lot of people die. Now listen to oh, that Oh, I title. do know about this. Yes, okay. So he records this two days before September 11th, and then they, it never got released. So they're releasing it. Tomorrow. That's great. Friday the you know 16th. What? I am a huge fan of George Carlin, and, and we were talking about this literally last night at the bar, and it sort of ties back to what we said about comedy growing. Mm -hmm. I love George Carlin because not 100% of what he said I agreed with, or I did agree with back then, but now I've grown, uh, because overwhelmingly his presence was a positive force while he was here. You know, people talk about freedom of speech, but it tends to stand the test of time when they use... Everyone knows freedom of speech. Every comedian should do exactly what they want. There should be not one fucking rule in comedy. And if anybody thinks there should be, you're not having me march with you. Every comedian should do everything they fucking want to do. But that doesn't mean, on their own fruition, they want to be fair. Yeah. And I think George Carlin stood the test of time as far as listening to his work because he tended to defend the right group. 
I don't give a fuck about annoying people or I don't want to purposely do it. That's not cute. But if something you say and you believe it, you're not just trying to be edgy, but you genuinely have a feeling you're trying to get it across and it, and it bothers some people in the audience if it tends to be social or political. That's mm-hmm. usually when you offend the most people right. if you tackle those things. I don't mind offending people. I just want to offend the right people. I don't want to offend the brilliant people. But so George Carlin tended to go after the not the underdog. Uh, so you might go back to his body of work and go, oh, I don't agree with that. Yeah, because time passes. Who knows? Maybe if he'd still be living, I hope people don't think if he kept living, he would have not grown and grown and grown. Right. He certainly did every year while he was alive and changed his views and, and uh, like guys like Richard Pryor. So whenever anybody goes back and looks at somebody's body of work and holds it as the holy grail, you don't want to do that because if Richard Pryor, um, I, I don't, I mean on isolated things. Overwhelmingly, you look at Rich, uh, Rich, you know, uh, George Carlin's body of work, and you're like, wow, it's like this guy, you know, he was, he was, he knew what he was doing. Uh, but if Richard Pryor would have died before he had his different feelings on the N word. Mm-hmm. He did change his belief on that. So if he would have died yeah. before that, those type of people would have been walking around going, oh, Richard Pryor said it, Richard Pryor said it. But, oh, no, he lived a little longer and and changed his opinion yeah. on that. So, uh, yeah, I, I've always been a uh, – uh, I, I just, you know, like I said, I uh, underst- I didn't understand everything he was saying when I was, like, really little. But I understood enough and I really took a liking to him. And then after he died, especially, I went back like a lot of people and really looked at his work more. And I was Did you know his hippy dippy weatherman character I was, before? I didn't. I only learned that years later. Me I too. didn't know. Like, oh, that was look at him growing. And literally about three weeks before he died, I was talking to my friends. I felt like my comedy was changing. And I really thought, here's what I thought. You got to decide what you want to do because I, I think all types of comedy are funny. Like I have no limitations. I like it could be. It's like saying, "Do you like silly movies or dramatic movies?" Oh, I hope I don't have to pick. Same thing with comedy. Some comedians don't take on social issues or politics. They can still be brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can still, you know. So, um, so uh, I didn't know that part of George Carlin, okay. but I was thinking like. Well, what am I going to do? Like, I I like taking on social issues sometimes now. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't I like being silly. But I understood. I, you have to pick one. You can't do both, is what I thought. And then, after he died, I started looking at his body of work. And people. he literally, he didn't talk about it, but his work showed it. And I was watching it with my friend Daniel Kino at the Tempe Improv in the hotel. And, and I remember going, oh, you don't have to pick. Yeah. And it was so lightning for me to go, no, you do both. So I learned, even after he died, that's when I really, like, was aware of his work. Did you know him at all? Did you cross paths? I didn't. I, I was always eager to hear any story that involved him. Like, any comedian I knew that opened for him. I had a friend that opened for Well, an acquaintance at that time opened for him. And, I, of course, I was like, what was he like? I want to have every detail. I don't care. He goes, well, he just came into the green room. There was me and my friend hanging out. And he walked in, but... 40 minutes before the show, and he goes, what's up, cocksuckers? <laughs> and he goes, and that relaxed both of us, and yeah. he was super friendly. And uh, and you're in the position now where people do that same thing about you, you know? Like, wait, you worked with Todd Glass? What was Todd like? Well, I hope they, you know, it really doesn't, I, I always appreciate that, and I, I will tell you that my experience when meeting Don Rickles or someone like that was so good. I was so nervous, and it was so good. So, I think without that experience, I would still be nice to comedians that maybe would want to meet me. But um, 
that certainly made me want to go, I want that experience for anybody to be as good as my experience was mm -hmm. with Don Rickles. And the other thing is, you know, I get mad like everybody else. And, and uh, but there's, there's no side of me that anybody would see that they would be like, oh, he's phony. He's full of shit. The reason I'm in fairly, if any comedian meets me, I'm going to be in a good mood because I'm doing, at that point of the day, my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Stand-up comedy and hanging out with other comedians. So I would think most of the time that people would have a good experience with me, and I like meeting new comedians. It works both ways. To be honest with you, if no young comedians ever came up to me and wanted to meet me, it would probably depress me. Yeah. It Maybe, I don't know what level I'd be able to admit it, but, <laughs> you know, but it's certainly, it, it works both ways. I appreciate their accolade uh, as much as they might uh, want to meet me. So it's a two-way street. I want to, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to read a little bit of this uh, more about the uh, Carlin album, get your thoughts on it here. The album starts with a bit on police that falls in line with the vitriol being expressed towards cops 15 years later. You don't help the police, goes, the ref goes his refrain. They're not on your side. In the most publicized bit, he complains about the class system on a plane and the hierarchy, hierarchy of farts. <laughs> he imagines a scenario in which flatulence builds up in the cabin until the back half of the plane blows off and Osama bin Laden gets blamed for cabbage fart det detonations. <laughs> so much of it is his, his uh, inclination, too. Right, right, right. Um... This part is interesting, though. He foresees a future in which Earthlings experience a mass natural disaster, a hemispheric megastorm, and they're all wiped out, uh, and start better lives in other galaxies, which are created by our mass hate. Guys named Tom are, or Todd. Guys named Todd are gone. I know. And so are soccer moms. I know. <laughs> he says that. He goes, what's it with the name Todd? <laughs> Fuck Todd. You know, so obviously I'm not going to. My friend showed it to me like he thought I was going to be. Fuck George <laughs> He's obviously talking about me yeah. in this case. Yeah. So will you go out and buy that? Will you listen to it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I knew that someone had mentioned some of what you mentioned, but I didn't know they were releasing it until you just told mm -hmm. me. So that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get my hands on that somehow. No doubt about it. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of things I, that stood out to me in your book, which is really good. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, first of all... The Patty LaBelle, Meet, working with her and having the perfect room, and the you wrote a note to her in the book telling her how much have you I heard did. back? You know, I did from uh, I did from her manager, and he said that he passed it on to her, and I didn't hear back from her, okay. but I was I, at least I know she got it. Yeah, and um, you know, I I the, what I had, first I was like I wanted to hear from her so bad, but then I realized even at my level I get things from people sometimes, and I don't always uh, get back to them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, sometimes I do. Sometimes I if I have their email, hey, I got your thing, or sometimes it's someone after a show. So I I was okay with that. I was just happy she got it. Yeah. That meant the world to me. But um, I don't know why with all the things that that. I've done some things in my career, and you know, but I always go back to that. Maybe it's because I was so young. I'm I'm like 19 years old, and I'm on Broadway with Patti LaBelle. Yeah, and I you know, I didn't even know who Patti LaBelle was. The owner of the comedy club, uh, I got a call from him that Patti LaBelle was at the Valley Forge Music Fair, which was a 3,000 seat in the round theater uh, that um, was in my neighborhood. Yeah. And I learned years later that entertainers really liked working there because it was a destination place. It wasn't a casino. or And 3,000 in the round is crazy intimate. Yeah. It's basically 1,500 because it's, you know, 
you're they're around you, sure. So they're all closer. Yeah, and that they she needed an opening act. He said she's going to be on the Tonight Show tonight, so watch her. And I did. I, I was not familiar with her music. The only song I knew, my manager goes, you know that song, Oulé Vous Couchez? So I was like, oh, yeah, I know that song. He goes, well, watch her on The Tonight Show. She, at that point, had her hair, like, really decked out really high. Oh, yeah, high. yeah, yeah. And I opened for it at the Valley Forge Music Fair, and it went well. And then I did one more show for her at the Westbury Music Fair, which is still open in New York. Same thing, 3,000 seat in the round. And then about a month later, I got a call. They go, you know, you're going to go to on you're going to go to Broadway with her and we did a month and a half at the Minskoff Theater which oddly enough about a year ago I was opening for Jim Gaffigan and the way it was was I didn't know till I was there for two days with him they go there's another theater downstairs and the guy just passively casually goes yeah the Minskoff Theater is downstairs I'm like, that's where I oh, open wow. up for Patti LaBelle. Yeah. And she was just so nice. Like, nice isn't even the word. She was so kind and so sweet. And I mean, I was 19 years old. Maybe that was why. And she sees a kid, like, she, her motherly instincts came sure. out. I thought I was like an adult. <laughs> and my parents would come to the show. And my dad never really saw me. That was the biggest thing he ever saw me do, which was way ahead of my time for being able to do something like that because I was opening for her. Right. So he, my parents came one night, and, and Patti LaBelle, like, she had this song called There's a Winner in You. My dad and mom were in the audience, and she goes, she goes, where's Todd's parents? Because I would stand on the side of the stage, uh, you know, in the audience, but it's a little alcove. You could sit in there and not have the, you know, not be distracting yeah. and not let the audience see you standing there. And uh, and uh, they put a spotlight on my parents, and they go, you know, say so she said some nice things. She goes, "He's crazy," and she told this story, something I did the night before, and wow. uh, and then she sang, "There's a winner in you," and my mom and dad were there, so it's like for my dad, and then my dad died about a few years after that, so it was like I, I think maybe that's a special place in my heart because she let my dad see me yeah, in, oh, for su- sure. in such a good light treated so sweet and she invited my like she had a place in new york that she just rented because she was there and she uh brought me and my brother michael and my other brother back to her place with some of the the, the uh, people in the band and she made us all like dinner and i was like couldn't believe it and then every sun we we had a sunday matinee then we were done till tuesday mm-hmm. so a like in those days, it's funny an old, like a big old fashioned stretch limo, which now I'd be embarrassed to get in. <laughs> like I'll take an SUV; it's a little more understated. Yeah. <laughs> but we would get in there, me and her son Zoe, who was about thirteen at the time. I was nineteen. We would get along so well. We would just do bits and we'd be laughing, and um, uh, and then they would drop me off at my house, you know, at my parents' house. It's all you know. It all. Uh, she's obviously has been a superstar for a long time, yeah. it, or legendary, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, but comedy opening for music doesn't happen. Yeah, it's it an, doesn't I, happen as much. You know why? Because I think over. Even though it worked then, I did very well. I I I learned a few things, and I I was nervous, you know, and I did a little crowd work because what do you, you know? I don't have enough material, uh, but. It doesn't always work, yeah. and I think that's why a lot of people stop doing it because it, it can work and it can be great. It depends who your audience is. Yeah, but uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun to do, and uh, I wanted to. I don't. I don't know the answer to this, but just I'm thinking about how our guy Cy is going to. Uh, he's going to do his half hour. Mary was just on Conan last night. What was your first late night appearance? You know, I think that there's two. One, one that probably nobody would know what it is anymore. There was a show called George Slaughter's Comedy Hour, 
And that was like, they used some of my stand-up on there. But I think Evening at the Improv. Oh, yeah. That was like, you know, some people today don't even know what that show is. Even if you're 30, you probably don't know what it is. But it was a show, and it was the, I mean, everybody did it. Whether it was Gary Shandling, Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, everybody, uh, you know, um, Richard. I think, and then they had like a guest host. It would be Bud Freeman, the owner of the Improv. And then it would be Tonight, and it would be like a person, a famous person. Yeah. That was probably the first thing that okay. I ever did. First talk show uh, was probably Dennis Miller. He had a talk show for a while, and I did that. Yeah. And then one that everybody would still go, oh, yeah, was uh, Conan O'Brien back in the beginning when he first got the show. Yeah. I did the Conan O'Brien show. Okay. I Watching his show last night, he was just mentioning, it's been, what did he say, 23 years since he started his show on NBC. And let me tell you, it's funny you mention Conan because... I remember when Conan came on the air, that was the first show that, for me, represented the type of comedy me and my friends did, like Mm -hmm. bits. I could even sort of think, I think I may be able to write on that show, and I couldn't write on any show, because they just did bits, and here's this, the dancing, the the bear. Masturbating bear. The masturbating bear. That's what me and my, what if there's a masturbating bear? It wasn't really a flushed out (laughs) three-page bit, it's a concept, you go, we'll do it, and that's what they did. And, uh... So I, I was like, wow, this show really did it for me. And uh, so I was, you know, nervous to do the show, obviously. But I, oh, here was my point that um, I stopped watching Conan uh, uh, only probably because he went to TBS, and I'm a flipper. So it wasn't in the rotation of flipping. You know what? I. I'll admit, same thing. And, and, and then I started watching it again. I'm like, oh my God, it's. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so great. He's so in the moment. He's so present. He's so like just. I love his frenetic energy. Yeah. Andy is great. He did this bit the night that we were watching. It was in the audience handing out like bagels to everybody. I think or bread or whatever it was. It's so silly. And I hope maybe now that Letterman's gone and things have changed, that people start going over there and going, "Oh, this is great." Mm-hmm. You know, that and uh, probably, you know, so uh, that, that, that was it. So I really want to start, I want to start watching it again. Yeah, I go through waves, but the same thing happened to me, where it's like, TBS just isn't in my, you yeah. know, my ten cha- or eight channels I go through. I want the rest go... of the day, I'm not really watching anything over there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you just don't, I said I was going to, uh, you know, you can, you know, you can uh, organize your channels oh, so yeah. when you flip by. I want to just put it in there. <laughs> that way, because I'll flip, I will watch it. But it's great. He's, I... he's, he is on his... He's 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 doing it. I did that. Uh, I I set. Let's see. It would have been about a month ago. I, I changed the channel lineup at my house, where I set it so it only went to channels where the Olympics were being broadcast. Because I was I love the Summer Olympics. I was way into it. Watched as much as I could. So I did that. And there was with the satellite that I have. There was I don't know ten channels with Olympics twenty four hours a day. Well, I didn't tell my wife I did that. Oh, <laughs> she came down and just. That's great. Why the fuck can't I get up all these channels? So, honey, I can't help it. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I don't, what do you think I do? Uh, you think I arrange the channels? You're like, wait She's trying second. to get to MTV yeah. and it's just skipping past it every time. But that was the first. <laughs> I gave you a long answer for a short question. No, I, I like the long answers. I'm also a big fan of uh, name dropping. So, and, and so do as much of that as you can here. Oh, I love that. Who like else? in your book, when I'm reading it uh, and it's like, blah, 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 row. I'm like, oh, who? And then the next paragraph, oh, that was Rosie O'Donnell. Well, I think I did say, I think I said, 
maybe I said it in one sentence because that's the way someone else referenced her. Because I would never be so uh, whatever that word is to go hit row, you know. But uh, that's the way someone else referenced her oh, that okay. I knew. Yeah, uh, and that was back when she would like. I lived in the city. I was probably. 18 then, 17, uh, or 18, and I had just moved out of my parents' house for a little while, then moved right back. Right. Uh, and she would uh, stay, uh, she was friends with my roommate, and she would crash there a lot. Yeah. That's how, that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, I, I, the the, uh, the stories that came up in that book are amazing. I, lo- I love the panel. And then, like, uh, somebody just brought this up to me. I was working earlier today someplace else, and somebody brought up, um, they read something about Tom Wilson, and I was like, yeah, you know who that Tom is, right? Wilson. Do you know who Tom Wilson of is? Of course. Tom Wilson is like one of these guys, and look, he's done so many things and so many. But you know, the, the most iconic role is Back to the Future, right. where he played Biff, and he was the one of the first comedians I ever saw. I went to the Comedy Works in Philadelphia. I was in high school. A friend of mine told me about this comedy club. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. There weren't comedy clubs in every city then, so. We went down. I thought it was going to be like college students telling jokes. I didn't know, like, okay, they're not household names, but they obviously knew what they were doing. Right. And we would see, that's before I even did stand-up. I'm literally maybe hitting 16 or 15 at this point. A friend of mine, uh, my brother, who had a license, we would go down there. And then we would see Richard Lewis, Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, Gary Shandling, Steve Wright, Gilbert Godfrey. Uh, you know, the, the list just went on and on of these great comedians. And um, uh, I forget the Tom question. Wilson? Oh, so Tom Wilson was one. Of, now, he was probably at the time 19, 20. And he would kill. And we loved him. And he was super friendly after the show. And then I started doing stand-up. We were so obsessed with Tom Wilson. And he he finally, they announced one night at the comedy club that him and Judy Toll, this other female comedian at the time they were dating, uh, were moving to California. And they had a farewell show. And we went to the farewell show. And then when he came back, I was doing open mic night. So he would, you know, he lived near my parents. He was staying with his parents, and I would drive him home after the show and uh, just was so, like, couldn't believe it. You know, I'm doing bits with Tom Wilson. Yeah. I was comfortable around him. And uh, he was, you know, and then he did Back to the Future, and then I moved to L.A., like, maybe 18, 19, 20, maybe seven years after I started in Philly. And uh, even when I got out there, always return my calls. He sets the standard very high. I always return people's calls or texts today. And, and I think I would do it innately. But if, if I ever was going to slip, he never didn't return my call. Wow. You know? So he was, a, he was very sweet. Very sweet. I love that he has the song that uh, just oh. answers all the questions. You if anybody should do? If no, if no one's heard that and you're listening to this, look, Google that thing. Or YouTube it easier it. for the listener. Yeah. You're going to roll it in right now. Hey, there we go. When I'm flying in a plane or I'm on the street, there's a lot of things people that I like to meet. They shake my hand and never ask my name, and they start asking questions that are always the same. Hey, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. What's Michael J. Fox like? Nice guy. What's Michael J. Fox like? He's an alien. Stop asking me the question. Went to the bar mitzvah of my nephew Josh Now I'm not Jewish but I like to nosh Put on my yarmulke, started to pray When the rabbi leaned over and I heard him say Hey, was that real manure? No it wasn't, was that real manure? 
No, was that real Menorque? It's a movie. Stop asking me the question. Can we take your picture? Come on, look mean. Would you call my friend a butthead on his answering machine? Hey, questions, questions, just fill my head. I went to my doctor, my doctor said, hey, what does a key grip do? Set up lights. What does the best boy do? Help the key grip. What does a producer do? I don't know. Stop asking me the question. Do you all hang out together? No, we don't. How's Crispin Glover? Never talk to him. Back to the future for not happening. Stop asking me the question. Hey, who's the nicest famous guy you know? Adam Sandler. Who is the biggest jerk? Gary Busey. How much money do you make more than you do? So stop asking me the question. Thanks a lot, everybody. Ah, we just heard it. it. Isn't that a great way? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he, he... he really it just gets it out of the way. Mm-hmm. When I first heard him do that song, he's like, I don't want to be a you know a jerk about it. People are there to see you, but how can I yeah. you know, how can I like <laughs> So he he walks out on stage, plays that song, and then he moves so past Then you move it. on. All right, now we yeah. got that done. I love that song. <laughs> I, I just love it. It's so great. I wanna talk about now uh, well I wanna go back to Tuesday when I was at your show and you were you know, had some notes up here on the stage. I think they're still sitting they behind are right me. There, yeah. Um We're are, on the stage at the Acme Comedy Club. Does people know that? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. And um so what are you, where are you right now with your, like, with what you're working on and where, are you going to be recording it? I'm doing an hour on November 5th, a new hour special. Uh, we're, there's just a, uh, a company uh, recording it, you know, do, uh, producing it. And like my last one, the same thing, uh, New Wave did it and then we sold it after we shot it. We sold it to Netflix. Yeah. My one before that was Comedy Central. So I would like it to sell at Netflix again, but wherever we sell it, you know, I'll be happy if we just sell it anywhere. Uh, and I'm getting ready. Um, so I have some notes on stage. You know, I try not to. I, they're not the type of notes where I pick them up. As you can see, they're in a binder. Yep. And the reason I put them in a binder is so I don't even have to lift up. Like if you staple it, you got to take it off the stool, turn the page. I just, you know, I have my, my, my binder over there, usually on a music stand tilted right at me, a stool right below it with my drink on it. You know, you do... 15 minutes of comedy or 10, you take a drink, you flip a page. Yeah. I don't want it to be like picking it up sure. and looking. So I'm, as, as I get this close, I do have to look at some notes to stay intact. But, you know, these crowds here are just so crazy good. Last night I think I did literally 40 minutes. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm thinking I did 15. I better start getting to the note to my show. And then I got the light. I'm like, oh, I have 20 minutes left. <laughs> but I'm trying to use the binder to... Uh, <laughs> To just get into the uh, habit of doing that hour. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me. And then, like the, I mean, I come here as much as I possibly can to see shows. First thing I noticed when I walked into the club the other night is the lights weren't how I normally recognize them. The like the the stage lights, whatever you want to call these, around yeah. that, uh, that like when you're on stage, they would be above and yeah. um, to the sides of you. Those were off. The Acme sign, the multicolored yeah. Acme sign, was off. It's just tweaking things a little bit. You know, the thing is, like, m- most of the time, I, uh, you know, I'll change a few things that the Acme might do. Mostly, I steal their ideas because that's how you learn in comedy. You go to a club and you think it's the right way to do something. And then if you're open to change, uh, you can tell when things are right also and you steal those ideas and many of those the type of music that lewis plays as they were coming into the club i remembered every other club i would go to they'd be and that made sense to me play something loud get the crowd going doesn't that make sense of course it makes sense no it didn't Mm -mm. and then i come in here 
think back then Lewis would play like Sinatra. It doesn't have to be Sinatra. It could be some newer band today. It could be J.C. Brooks and the Uptown Sounds. It could be, but it's something that says, oh, this is different. This is special. This is like the theater. <clears throat> you know, it's not, and uh, so a lot of ideas I, I do take from this club, and they're happy. You know what you mean by take. You just learn sure. new things. Sure. But yeah, I changed, my, I changed things around a little bit at clubs just you, to make it. The first voice everyone heard was yours. Mm-hmm. From uh, were you in the back of the room? Or? I, I, I was. Well, we okay. have a mic backstage here too. Like, a, a, but uh, yeah, I, I like to make the pre-show announcement because I feel I can make it in a way that nobody else can make it but me. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and and I and I hope I say it with love. I don't want to come off like it's a soup Nazi. Who wants that? Hey, folks, turn off your phones. We will not ask you right. again. Also, we're gonna tell you we do not allow heckle. No. I think I I know what I do the first thing every night is I go let's do the most important thing and that's thank you for coming out tonight mm-hmm. and then I am strict with the because I find that people will listen if you don't have loud some places they play loud music hey don't forget to turn off your cell phones and music's playing and remember to turn the thing keep your laughter to a maximum but you're talking to a minimum <laughs> no one hears it and you have to educate people why yeah uh, and that's why with the cell phones I will say listen folks I know it's tempting. I really do get it, but sometimes you just pull your cell phone out, the light is low, but the people next to you are seeing you do it, and mm-hmm. even if it's they're hoping you were enjoying the show as much as them. So I promise you, if you turn yourself off, that's the line I say, from the outside world, we will throw that love right back yeah. at you. Mm-hmm. And it works. People have you listen. Worked, have you worked any of the clubs where they're putting cell phones in these cases that are that basically you know negates their power for... Uh... While they're in the no, club, no, no. But have how you heard about this? Get people to do that. I think they well, comedy they, clubs do that. I not that I I read it. it hey, was believe a, me, that sounds like it was me, a club in Denver. Maybe that was doing it. Maybe the comedy works. Well, that's another respected club too. So if anybody was going to do it, but um, so you haven't seen it. Okay, I haven't seen it. And you know what? Before there were cell phones, there were other things. I'm believe me, I'm not a guy that thinks cell phones are the end of the world. Right. You know, there was always something that could distract people. There's a great picture someone tweeted me of 50 people lined up on the street waiting for a bus, probably back in like 1950 or four. It was a long time ago. Literally, there's 30 people all reading the newspaper. Yeah, their faces right. are in the paper. Yeah, ignoring each other. Well, ignoring yeah. each other. Buried in the so, newspaper. So yeah, cell phones. They also uh, help us communicate and do great things and spread messages of love. I get sometimes tweeting people can say hateful things, but they can also say loving things and, and reach out and make people feel heard and let people have a voice that never had a voice before. And maybe the downside is that, yes, there are a lot of phones at the self uh, thing, yeah. but I'll, I'll still take them uh, technology over spitting on it. Sure. I, I got to say this now because it just popped into my head and I don't want to uh, spend this time with you without mentioning this. I... My inter- and you asked me about how I got to host this podcast. I was a big comedy podcast fan, like the and I'm going to say like the early days. I know the early days of podcast way back in my day. But I the story goes, I went. Uh, I my my kid had just been born. My my first had just been born. I was taking her for walks in the afternoon and wanted something to listen to. I went on iTunes and searched comedy. And it went to podcasts, and the two that were at the top of the list, I started listening to religiously, and they were never not funny. Mm-hmm. P- hearing you on there with one of my all-time favorites, Jimmy Pardo, and the show you did with Jimmy Dore, with Jimmy Dore comedy I, and everything else. I used to me. listen to that every week. Todd. Me, Jimmy Dore, and Steph. You know, the, Jimmy Dore. Like there were obviously people that did uh, podcasts before Jimmy Pardo, but in the comedy community, Jimmy Pardo. I don't think anyone would defy. That's who. That was who did it first mm-hmm. or you know to, to everybody that yeah. made it um 
And it was so much fun. And someone said it years later that really put into perspective, I think, why podcasting was so much fun. I always liked radio, whether it was just talk radio or uh, doing bits on the radio. Like, uh, and But there's no doubt that the suits, the people that ran radio, almost worse than TV suits. And the question was all why I think podcasting became so – because it is radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, why it became so popular is because in one clean swoop, you know, there was always suits in radio. And I always imagine that a suit in radio will hear this. Now, we're not talking about the 20% of suits that are brilliant. They don't, they, they're agreeing with me right now. We're talking about the 80% of the suits that were unnecessary. And the question always was between the talent and the suits, specifically in radio. TV is another thing. Uh, yeah, you know, we know you're talented, but you need us. Right. And we need you. We're not defying it, the suits would say. But, you know, without us, they always think we'd like to see, you know, you know, what would happen if you didn't have us. Right. Yeah, you're talented and you know it's funny, but we know demographics and we know numbers. So stop fighting us. I wish the talent would stop fighting us because if the suits weren't there, this would not be existing. And I think they still think that because they're not realizing, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I think we found out what would happen if the suits weren't in radio. It's called post- podcasting, and it's the biggest fucking thing in the world. So what would happen if you weren't in the picture? Great things. Yeah. You were in the way. You stopped brilliance. And podcasting in one clean swoop gave radio the purity of stand-up comedy. Yeah. What guys like Howard Stern had to fight for, uh, because... Because I still hold Howard Stern as the Holy Grail. You do. I, yes. I do, too. I don't agree with... I wish As he evolves, I wish he would stop doing certain things. But there is no doubt Howard Stern... And no, there isn't. It's just in my opinion. It's just brilliant. And, and, and everyone knows the word theater of the mind. Oh, yeah, I know what theater of the mind is. I know what the, no, you, Yes, you know what the word means, but you don't really know what it means until you were listening to Howard Stern. And he had probably suits that were telling him, that's a visual bit. That's a visual bit. Some bits I can't even believe that he did, that you think I might have back then if I was his friend gone, well, you know, Howard, I know what theater of the mind is, but this is all visual. And he did it and it was beautiful. Yeah. And um, so uh, that's what it is. It's 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 radio with the purity of stand up. And it tends to be very popular. Mm hmm. It, it is very yeah. popular. So I loved it. Being on Jimmy Pardo's show and letting things breathe. You know, hey, look, I think some people say Howard Stern makes fun of podcasting, but I wish he wouldn't because it's not our fault that it came along and what you fucking hated about the business we don't have to deal with. Come on, you made yeah. it happen. I've heard I, him hate say that. I'm like, come oh, on. No, don't, Howard. I, I bet if I could talk to him. That's one of, by the way, the things that I've never got to do that I, I, I want to do it so Bad the Howard Stern show. You never have. No, no. but I'm also. I, I thought when my book came out, maybe. But uh, I would love to do that show, uh, and I would love to talk to him about some of the things that he says. You know, because obviously I hold him in high regard. Yeah. But there are some things that I wish I could go back and forth with him about. I think it could be a really good conversation. I'm. I. I so even that, like, so you know, uh, shitting on podcasting, like, no, you paved the way for it. You made it happen. Yeah. Like it, you proved that maybe it was necessary. You proved that it was necessary. So you know he can't say this, but I can. I've never even thought about this before. You might have launched it. Like going, well, look at Howard Stern, and then he goes to XM Radio, letting this thing breathe. It's, you know, and then XM and then podcasting. So it's all part of, you know, but I, I do hold him in very high regard. 
And his and he has uh, his his act has changed over the years. He's grown. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about him. You don't want to, you know, you, when you're always afraid of changing an opinion. I always I'm making I'm guessing this, but when Howard Stern made up with Rosie O'Donnell, uh, because they were contentious after a long time, uh, after many years, and then he made up. There were probably fans that went, "Oh, he's too soft. I'm done. I'm done." Somebody else goes, "What are you talking about, Stern? Oh, you mean with the Rosie O'Donnell? Yeah, I'm done." Because they hated Rosie O'Donnell. Right. But I liked that he grew. And he, he said, no, this doesn't have to be. And then they, 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 they talked, and, they, and, they, and, uh, and he, he's grown over the years. So you're always worried when you grow, I'll lose fans. But you know what? You'll gain new fans. Yeah. You have to grow. And that's why I think Howard Stern has been around so long, because he has grown. He has changed his views and said things and went, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And, and, and maybe I've evolved. And then, yeah. No, maybe I shouldn't have said it. He should have said everything he said. But maybe he's changed his opinion. Yeah. Not I shouldn't have said it, but changed his opinion. I want to say one more thing about how... I'm, I'm fine, by the way. You, you'd go as long as you want. So, but I'm not. I'm out of the hotel. You could, you know, you'd, you know, I'm not in a hurry. So. Okay. All right. All right. The only thing I have going on tonight, I got to. Uh, we're going, we're taking my wife's uh, brother out to dinner. He uh, went to boot camp earlier this year, and then had a uh, like a army training job out of the state for a while, and he's back. So Where we're are gonna, you going? We're gonna. I don't know. We're gonna buy him a steak somewhere. Why don't you go to that pizza place? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't. Do they have steak pizza? Sure. I don't know. He said he wanted a steak or a burger. So right, well, that's some good. What's red his meat. Name? Caleb. 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 Yep. There you go. That's a good name. Yep. Caleb. How old is he? Nineteen twenty. Good. I'll go have 19, a nice steak 20, dinner. Yeah. Because now you can tell him to listen to this podcast. We gave him a little shout out. Yeah. Exactly. Podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Podcast. That's what Jerry Pardo should call. Uh, oh, I trust me. I know. Um, but I want to say the, the beauty of podcasts is. One of the things for me that stands out is that I've been introduced, but specifically comedy podcasts, I've been introduced to so many talents that I don't know how I, I would have ever found out about. Maybe in time I would have someplace else, but hearing these comics that don't that maybe weren't coming to Acme or haven't come to Acme and hearing them on your show or Pardo's or WTF, and it just it, it's so great. I just got some. I I, I need to get this out there, uh, Todd. I just got a message on Twitter yesterday. When someone follows me new on Twitter, it shoots back a little message mm-hmm. like, "Hey, thanks for following me." And if you're if you like the show, give us a review or share it with your friends. Right? Somebody uh, sent me one. Or I, that happened yesterday, and the woman lived. It said she lived in Oklahoma. So I sent her a message. I'm like, "Are you really listening from Oklahoma?" She said, "Yeah." And I said, "I have to ask. How did you find out about it?" And she found out because she was searching, you know, the comic Chris Porter. Mm-hmm. She was searching stuff of podcasts with Chris. Chris funny. Yeah. She, she, she searched shows with Chris Porter, found mine, started looking through the list of all the uh, comics I've had on. She goes, I, you have some of the best talent of any podcast out there, you know, regularly. She goes, and I love your show. That's, that's interesting. I'm super proud of that. Yeah, because you don't realize how many... You know, you don't know. Like, uh, the same things happen with a lot of people that yeah. are in it. You you get an email or something, mm-hmm. and you're like, you don't realize it, where it goes all over the world. And I've never been to Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never been, you know, to certain places where, you know, um, never. I just lost my train of thought. Isn't that funny how quick that happens to me sometimes? Yeah. 
Me as well. Oh, oh, I know what I was going to say is that uh, as far as where they're and they get to they get to hear some comedians. You're right that they wouldn't have been introduced to. I would get that sometimes with like Rory Scovel Mm -hmm. or Ron Funches or guys like that. And uh, that people go, yeah, I didn't know about them. And then I heard them on your podcast. And and, uh, then, you know, then two years later, their careers are taken. Right, right. But they got to hear them on a show and being, you know, casual and comfortable. And, you know, so how is how often like are you recorded way ahead on your show? Do you have them? You know what? Everybody should, you know, everybody does what's right for them. I find it very hard to sit on episodes. Okay. I'm very excited to launch them. Yeah. So when I do it, I do it on a Tuesday usually or a Wednesday, and then we drop it on Friday. Okay. Uh, 95% of the time, that's how we do it. Once in a blue moon, we'll record an episode and hold it because I think next month I might be busy. And then I have an episode, but usually I just two days, two three days. Yeah. I, I I just want to get so excited every time I do a podcast. I'm not joking around. It is my it, next to stand up. It's my favorite thing in the world, and it's. I used to say, you know, I wanted to try to capture what comedians do off stage, uh, in, in on a microphone, mm-hmm. and I came to the realization about a year ago that it's better because. Podcasting, or you know, whatever. If you had, if you were able to do it on a TV show, it'd probably be good. But it's hard to let things breathe as much. Right. That's the other thing about podcasting because it is can be in people's ears and they can walk around. You have a little more time to let things breathe. Yeah. But I think it's also going to let television know you might not be able to breathe like a podcast, but you can breathe more than you think you can breathe. Yeah. And uh, take time. Like you know, the the best example I can think of was like when Howard Stern would be. Sh- I always remember this in my head. It doesn't mean I want to go 20 minutes while I get up out of my seat doing my podcast and go in the house and look for something. And No, but it means when Howard Stern was shuffling papers or looking for a cart back when they used carts, yes. and it would take him, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, he's like, oh, where's this? And you'd hear, mm-hmm. where, where, that was just, I didn't care. No. That's what was going on there. I'm okay. I want to, you know, so whenever I'm doing something, I think, okay, just let it breathe. Mm-hmm. Let it breathe. Mm-hmm. And um, It's hard. That's hard. It, it is sometimes get you get to. anxious. It's you hard get, to get used to. It's hard to get used to, but I, but I try to remember just let it breathe, mm-hmm. let it breathe. And um, we were going somewhere with this. Uh, oh, it's my favorite thing to do. And um, so when I'm, whenever I'm doing the podcast, I thought it's better than comedians hanging out in real life, literally, because because it's technically work. When we're recording a show, all cell phones go off. Mm-hmm. They go off and they get put in their pocket. So now it's even a little bit more. Uh, you know, just doing bits and 100% focusing on the silly. So you're almost getting us even better than if you were to, if we were to set up hidden cameras in my house an hour later and people, you know, they're still there and we're still having fun. Right. But, you know, a phone might come out, someone might go into another room. But on the podcast, it's like just intense silliness. What happens on the Todd Glass show when someone uh, doesn't, forgets to turn off their phone? You know what? 99%, 98% of the time they do. Uh, but now I just say something before we go on, yeah. especially if there's someone like, uh, you know, maybe sitting in and they're not even on the show. But there's I have a few. I like people to come hang out. Sure. Uh, okay. Chairs and mm-hmm. stuff and yeah. extra headphones. And sometimes someone will be on their phone, not even making any noise. I just see them reading even a text and it, it throws me. I can't. At the point where it's a little bit out of control, but it is my studio and I create the rules. So I just ask people, don't even pull out your phone. Don't look at a text. We take five or six breaks throughout the show, yeah. you know, so you'll have time to pull out your phone. You know the difference between uh, your show and just 
comics hanging out, like if you just hang out at your house or actually recording, is that uh, if you're just hanging out and not recording, you wouldn't be having so much fun with effects on the mic. Well, yeah, the, all that <laughs> stuff. So you do. You get to see us. You know what you do? You get to see how silly we are. Because basically comedy is like, I always say it's like, I think we talked about this before. It's like being, it's like being in, when you get your license. I could say, sometimes I'll go, comedians are like, it's like we're in, you know, eighth grade. But I think uh, probably 16, you have your license. You're allowed to go do stuff, but you're, you're a young adult. It's like that for the rest of your life. Yeah. So that's what podcasting is. It's like we get, you know, because of that, we have bells and whistles. Sure. And I got sound effects. Yeah. And it's, it, it's like, it's it's ridiculous. I think back to you doing the, uh, on comedy and everything else, you would come out with the uh, Tom Jones the singing oh right 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 <laughs> oh that on comedy and everything else yeah, yeah. hello ladies because <laughs> ah, tom always does that yeah. good evening ladies <laughs> and gentlemen <laughs> who drove the ladies here <laughs> <laughs> thank you they needed a ride <laughs> uh let's see what else is in my notes here i want to hit up a couple more things here oh you mentioned on stage or did i read this the tattoo on your arms only a couple years old Tattoo's probably about Three years old. That's it, huh? About three years old. And none other, no other tattoos no, before that. I just want to finish this one up to my uh, shoulder blade. Oh, okay. And then I'm done. You know, I'm going to go back. I did it on a show in Philadelphia called Preston and Steve. Oh yeah. They, they did it on the air, and you know, because they live stream their show, and they said, you know, they did it for free if I did it live stream it, and uh, so I, I was always wanted one, and uh, I was in a relationship, and I got out of it. We, it ended oh. uh, very, very amicably. I don't know why I always point that out, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, and then I, I was like, oh, I don't have to answer to anybody, you know. So I wanted it, and uh, I just went and did it. Now I just got to finish it up. You have plans for the rest of it then? You know, on this one here, I didn't know what to do. But the night before I was going in, I had to get to the show at like 8 in the morning. And I knew they were going to do my tattoo that day. We were going to interview me, and then I'd go. They, they did it right in the same room where they record the show. Okay. And um, I didn't know what to do, but I went over. I, I called my stepbrother. At like midnight, he lives. I was staying with my parents because I was in Philadelphia. My mom's remarried, and he had a son at the time. He still does at the time. <laughs> and, and I go, Stephen, it's Todd. Like, he has tattoos. I'm like, I don't know what to do. He goes, Well, come over. We'll just look online and find a cool design. So they, he lives like right up the street. I went over. Oh, nice. And then I just went into the morning with a picture of it on my phone. I'm oh, like, okay. Can you do that? Yeah. You know? That that's my tattoo. Nice. I, you know, uh, you were talking about finding a destination for this special you're going to record in a few months. What do you, what do you know about? Uh, I was just reading something that CISO that app is they're coming. Yeah, they're you know they're they're, they're coming out with spe- with they specials. As a matter of fact, if, oh, I hope I'm right about this. They're doing Rory Scovels. I think they did his last one. Okay, and I think they're doing his new one. Uh, there, that's a place where uh, starting to do a lot of cool things. Uh, Lori Kilmartin is going to have a special on there in the next oh, few really? months. Yeah, yeah so I just read that this morning. So it's uh, it's like you know it's it's probably like Netflix because when I sold mine to Netflix. I wanted to go to Comedy Central. I thought, and then Netflix bought it, and I was like, "All right, I'm glad somebody bought it." And then I'm so glad that Netflix bought it because it got introduced to so many more people, yeah. than would have seen it on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Well, net, yeah. Every, who doesn't have? Do you know anyone that doesn't have Netflix these days, or at least someone else's? Uh, <laughs> yeah, somebody passcode. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's also if you're if you if you listen, Netflix will say if you like this special. You might like this special. Yeah. And I think they try to group you up with people that uh, that uh, mirror your sensibility. Mm-hmm. Probably do a pretty good job most of the time. So, um, 
uh, I was happy that it ended up on Netflix. Yeah, I think podcasting might have even. I'm I'm making this up in my in my not making it up. That's not the right. It's I'm coming to this conclusion on my own. I You're making like, the leap. Yeah, yeah. That I think podcasting might have had something to do with Netflix because basically what they figured out is because they used to go, what will people watch? On how long will people watch something on the computer? You know, that was the thing. Well, it can only be 15 minutes. Well, now everything's watched on the TV. Yeah. So they're not watching. No, no. If you want to, everything can be on the TV. No one gives a shit where it's streaming from. True. No one's going, God, this is a great show, but I wish it was being streamed from ABC or NBC or HBO, some of the more traditional networks. They don't give a <laughs> fuck where it's streaming from. Same thing with podcasting. It was like, oh, we don't care if it's coming from a satellite or we, we just want to hear something. We don't care who's launching it. Yeah. So... Along comes something like Netflix, and it's like, yeah, you you know, people don't care. You know, it's just if you have good quality programming, no one cares how it ends up on their TV. Yeah. And and now it literally ends up on their TV. You don't have to watch it on a computer. It used to be where, you know, they were trying to create new vehicles, but you had to watch it on your screen of your computer. Now it's like everything's on TV. Yeah. I uh, was going to ask you when, you know, I've... I remember from here from listening to your show that you like hosting, like having people over, right? With your ADHD, are, does that make you a good host? You know, that's a good question. I can let things go. I need order, but I can let things go. So when I have people over, if I have like most of my friends know me really well, and they all know be, I want you to be comfortable in my house, it probably mirrors the way my mom was and my dad. Well, my mom mostly when I was younger. Uh, the house was crazy orderly. But it did. We didn't. We weren't. We don't. We weren't a coaster house. We didn't use coasters. We didn't have. <laughs> we didn't have rooms we couldn't go into. So, when people see your house is that neat, they also think it's synonymous with if they break a glass, they're like, oh. So I was like, no, 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 no. I established those rules really quick. Like, if somebody has to use a coaster on my dining room table, because I'm so neat and because I'm so orderly, but I also want people to relax at my house. It's an old barn table. So a lot of times I'll be like, oh, no, 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 you don't need a coaster. But they see how clean the house is. Maybe they think I'm trying to be nice. And they go, oh, no, no, I'll use a coaster. They put a napkin. I go, no. And I, I'll take something, whatever it is that I can grab, and I'll just start banging on the table. Like, literally, I'll, go, I'll even go in and grab a <laughs> hammer. Because it's a barn table. And I'll go, I want to show you how much I don't care about coasters i go boom 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 <laughs> literally three times yeah. and you know what it's silly but it does relax and they go okay or something breaks i'm like i don't give a shit yeah so i don't mind things you know it's just order so i usually overly set things up so everything is ready to go and i i, I think overwhelmingly i think it makes me a good host and i also tell people that are new to coming over my house if i'm straightening up around you you know if i go up and i do a, a, a sweep through the house to get rid of some stuff uh-huh the worst thing you could do is help me. Oh. All I want you to do, what makes me feel good, and all my friends do it. They know that it doesn't mean I don't want them there. I'm just doing a, a sweep through, you know, trying to, uh, they just keep talking. That's what I want. While okay. I'm straightening up, if everyone keeps talking, I don't want it to stop anything. So I just tell people that right away. I go, I say it like this so they'll listen. I go, if you ever see me cleaning and you help me, I'm not, I don't fucking want you to. Just keep hanging out. That's all I okay. want. Okay. When I when we showed up on Tuesday, there was a woman sitting uh, right in front of the stage here, and she was kicked back. This is before the show started, but she, she had her kicked, feet on the stage. She had, had her feet up on the stage, but she took them off. She yeah, she must have because I didn't notice again. That's funny you asked that. Okay. Why did you ask that? Because I just I want, I'm curious at how you would have reacted to if, she, if that was still happening when she came up. Well, oh, we just talked about this like a week ago, me and Caleb. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, no kidding. Yeah, because it's. You might think, well, what's the big deal? 
you know, they have their feet up on the stage, especially if it's the edge. It could be the molding. Like if that, if someone's feet were up there, I'm, for the people listening, I'm pointing to the edge of the stage. My foot would never go there. Ever. Right. So what's wrong with their feet are up on there? And we both thought about it. We're like, it's, it's, a dis- it's disrespectful. And that's why a club will go up. Like good clubs, if someone has their feet on the stage, even before the show starts, will go, oh, I don't mean, you should handle it with kick gloves because it could look aggressive and you don't want to come off as a soup Nazi right. as a club owner. As much as I'm happy that clubs are strict, right. I also don't want, someone could just not know. But the reason we both guessed, it looks like a, someone who could be rude. You've already, it doesn't mean you will be. Right. You could just be the nicest, sweetest person who loves comedy. You just, maybe your, your feet were squished. And, you know, you just could stretch it out for a little while. And as soon as the lights go out, you're going to pull your feet off. But they don't know that. And a lot of times, it does end up being someone who'll yell out, oh, he had no respect for the stage. Your feet don't belong up on the stage. It's the stage. Mm-hmm. It's a place. I loved. I wouldn't put my feet up at your desk, in yeah, your right, office, right, right. And I wouldn't hang them over the cubicle. You know, this is your space, and 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 even before the show starts. So I don't like it, uh, and and it makes me. If I walk out and see someone's feet up on the stage, it it's fucking annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I love how you worded the. Uh... When you're you're asking, you're sort of asking a question to the audience, but not you're not looking for an answer. And I think I, I I'm terrible at quoting people, but you say something like. Uh, Go against your instincts. Don't follow. Oh, that's what I do. I, I love that. I think I took that line from Waiting for Guffman because I love that. Fred Willard is giving his <laughs> his wife is explaining the character is in the movie. Uh, well, Fred, whatever his name was, she goes. He always tells me to ignore my instincts because she's such a bad actor. <laughs> and I always go, yeah, whatever your instincts. She's just trusting her instincts, or yeah. he, whoever yeah. yells out. Yeah. You know, they're just trusting their instincts. That's all they're doing. Yeah. They're not thinking, how could I ruin the show? They're not bad people. They just their instincts. Instincts are a little whacked yeah. when it comes to comedy. So that's my, I always sometimes in passing, I'll go, <laughs> I, I hear it and I'll take my mic down. I'll go, don't trust your instincts. <laughs> because maybe there's something else they're going to trust their instincts yeah. two minutes later. Whatever your instincts are, don't trust your instincts. Just don't trust your instincts. Oh, I love that. And you were, uh, you were just in Minneapolis with uh, Sarah? I was, I was here with, uh, I was just here with Sarah. Oh, no, it was uh, 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 Jim Gaffigan. Oh, okay. Was, I was here with Jim Gaffigan. Oh, okay. And uh, maybe I was here with Sarah, too. But somebody told me they went and saw you with Sarah. Oh, they did? Yeah. You're, Jesus Christ. I know, you're, I know where you are better yeah, than you, you know do. where you are. I was here with Sarah. I forget the theater that we did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was uh, a lot of fun. And matter, matter of fact, somebody from the... Oh, oh Eric. Yeah. Eric. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He came to the show, and I think Sarah came one night. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, then, and I was also here with Gaffigan. We went to this place. I don't know where we went, but it was a place where there was a, a woman playing the piano. And I think it's like, is it iconic, this place? And I think it closed. Oh, it, 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 looks, <laughs> like it's, it looks like it's from 1963. Todd, I, it's called it's called Nyes, N-Y-E. Did it close? Yes, it's closed. Nyes Polonaise. But didn't somebody move it? Why wouldn't it go somewhere else? I don't know. You could even you could have even bought the vintage uh, booths, the booths and tables well, I and thought everything. Somebody yeah, said somebody did. I go. Why wouldn't someone build take whatever they can buy and go recreate this somewhere else? Unless they didn't do well, I don't know. But I went with. Uh uh, Jim Gaffigan, and you know the funny thing was, I think certain people didn't know who Jim was, and I don't think she did. And but he was funny, and he went up to the piano and he was talking with her. And I love that she didn't know who he was, but he was respectful of her, and she was going back and forth with him, and, and you could tell she had no idea who he was. And then these uh, two girls and a guy came over, and they like, you know, because the mic was being passed around, they took it, and they're like, ah, 
Yeah. And she, with all her just pure doing whatever she wants, she took the mic from them. She reaches over the piano. She's like, ah. She hands it back to Jim. She goes, maybe you noticed he was funny. <laughs> she don't fuck around, you know. That's awesome. And I thought, oh, God, she knows. <laughs> and then and then you could tell maybe she figured out by people coming over to him afterwards that, like, oh. And it's, it's almost endearing because it wasn't in an aloof way. She goes, you're somebody, aren't you? <laughs> oh, okay. You know, it's funny that uh, you had a – it's great that you had such I a lo- good experience oh. there. There was a TV show that uh, Sean Patton and Jay Larson did, Best Bars in America, and they were sent there a few years ago. And I had Sean on the podcast a few times, most recently, earlier this year, and I brought that up. And he's like, that fucking bar sucks. Most overrated. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought it up, Justin. That's the most overrated place I've ever been to. Well, you know what? It's all, and I won't be wishy-washy on the fun I had. Obviously, I, I could not say, no, oh, I didn't have fun either. Maybe it's all the setup. If somebody over-talks it, oh, over-talks course. it. Yeah. I looked. Did it look I, I was I think it has something to do with it I smoke pot and sometimes I think it really lets you look at things you think well so does drinking liquor in a different way and I turned to Jim and I was like man we're sitting in artwork mm-hmm. this is artwork what, you know what I mean because it's so dated somebody else might go it's old booths and the carpetings this is artwork yeah so we're smoking pot in this and we're in our heads at me I am mm-hmm. and um, we're uh, just in this place and there's the piano and I, I just uh, yeah. had a great time no no I, it's I heard Sean uh, Derek was telling me because uh, when they picked me up for radio uh, Eric I say Eric funny mm-hmm. Eric said uh, that uh, Derek will either be in a in a Jetta or a motorcycle mm-hmm. and I was like if he picks me up on a motorcycle first of all I'm doing it <laughs> I am doing it I'm not going to be like who picks someone up for radio on a motorcycle he didn't pick me up in a, mo- in a motorcycle uh, Derek picked me up in his car but I said I said did any did you ever pick anybody up in a motorcycle he goes Sean Patton oh yeah did you know that that sounds familiar. And he goes, and he got on. He knew it. He goes, if you picked me up in anything but the motorcycle, <laughs> I hope it's Sean Patton. I, I, that sounds we'll familiar. We'll ask Derek as yeah. soon as we're done. But yeah. I loved it. Just getting on the motorcycle. He brought him a helmet. I'm like, oh, <laughs> next time you got to pick me up on your motorcycle. That, that's awesome. Do you... I I, uh, I did a veteran move, and you know when the when a show ends here, uh, I know to hit the the door immediately when a show's over so i can get to the bathroom right away and not have to wait uh but i do you come out after the shows and say hi to people slap them on the back do I pictures do. you know i don't do it i don't do it at the door here but you know what? i should mention it sometimes but i'll always sometimes i'll remember to go especially a club like this that has a bar and audiences very rarely I, most of the clubs i play i like these days you know they're not always acmes but they're like i said there's clubs that aren't this but they're still great yeah. they're just not this yeah this and helium is probably well, because Helium learned everything they know from this place. But this and Helium is about it. And you know that the audiences, they've cultivated smart people. And I'm amazed how many times I go out to that bar. Because there are clubs where I'll be like, mm, I don't want to go out to the bar. I'll, I'll just hang with comedians backstage. Yeah. But I always hear, or uh, at the same thing with Helium, go to the bar after the show. I'll wait maybe 15 minutes cool down, throw on a dry shirt. But yeah, I, I go out to the bar okay. every night here and hang out okay. and meet cool people. And, you know, you roam from one group to a next group. Yeah. You always ultimately end up hanging out with comedians, which sure. I did that night. <laughs> you know, I like it when they're here. I like green room. I always let everyone know. Uh, it, until someone proves that they can't be ba- All you have to do really to hang is be able to chill out. Just chill. I remember once doing a show with Doug Benson and some people he didn't know, he it came... Uh, hung out after the show and I was like god they were all just able to chill because once one person can't you either get rid of them 
or everybody goes. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. and I and I, I sometimes it could be literally one person that just can't chill. You know what I mean? And then it's over for everybody. But here it's always great. You know, it's always great. That uh, You just brought up Doug Benson. I, my, I got an alert on my phone the other day. It must be brand new. And it was a, uh, it was a, one of his Doug, uh, Doug Loves Pod or the heck that shows. What is it called? Uh, Doug Loves. Uh, 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 getting Doug, getting with, Doug high. with High. Yeah. And you were on there. Yeah, I've done that show a lot. I, 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 I it's. You know, the, the thing that I love about that show is when you get the call to do it, sometimes they'll like call you last minute. And uh, to me, it's like I get to take the rest of the day off because you're going to be high. And they pick you up in a car. And uh, and then after the show, they, they have a car service bring you back to your house. Nice. So I always think, okay, I'm going to do that show. I have the rest of the day off. And because of work reasons. You know, it's not like I'm just smoking pot. No, I have to work. And part of my work, it's like if I had kids, I'd picture them. Daddy's got to go smoke pot. <laughs> and then he's done the rest of the night. Perfect. Just like if I had to go, if I was a pilot, saw, you know, very professional. Very right. not a loser. Uh, <laughs> and then I just do the show. Sometimes I'll wait there afterwards. The first time I did that show, I go, I don't, because I don't, I smoke pot there differently. And, and I like to do it that way. I smoke more there than I would if I was hanging out. Right. And uh, I said, uh, you know, after the show, I go, I can't go anywhere. They go, oh, no, we have a car. I go, no. I said, I can't drive. They go, you don't drive. We drove you here. I go, oh, I can't even be in the car when I'm high. I, I just get, I lose my uh Equilibrium. I okay. I think I'm going to hit every. We're going to hit every car, and I. They, I go. They go, Todd. You can hang out all you want. You can hang out for an hour. I go. Oh, I'm going to need more than an hour. <laughs> and the producer goes, How high are you? <laughs> I go. I need it. I. I was like two hours. I hung out. Yeah. And then I just go out to dinner afterwards with some friends. I yeah. have the car. Just drop us off. We beautiful. Dinner. This is. It's just. It's great. Great. Uh... One of the last news stories I read before I had before I came over here today was a they. Busted someone in Wisconsin, a hundred, one hundred and I don't know, was it thirty? Let's say it was around one hundred and thirty pounds of pot in a storage locker that uh, you know somebody was storing it to sell. Wow. And was it Doug? Yeah, exactly. In Wisconsin, of all places, which doesn't make sense. But you compare that to the, how life can be li- lived in uh, California, where you can get legally get a card and you can go into this show and smoke pot on camera and throw it out on the internet, and there's no there's no consequences. Yeah, it's, you know, I always said the only thing. Look. As far as health reasons go, that's different. But that's not why people want pot not legal. So you can't even bring the health reasons into it. You know, if there was, you know. uh, That... uh The only thing immature about it is the way we have to smoke it. So the people that are against it, you're the one that won't let go of the image. In other words, if you had to – I used to have a joke in my act about this. If you had to drink like we had to smoke, you would then realize – and that would mean if you you had to drink like we had to smoke, it would mean before the show, if you wanted to have a drink, you would, of course, go behind the building. And have a beer near a dumpster. Yeah. And then when you saw the cops, you'd throw the beer in the dumpster <laughs> on the ground and run. Yes. That's what we have to do. <laughs> yeah. So it really does feel good when you can, like, you know, we can't do it in a restaurant, but you can't smoke cigarettes. But you right. can step outside or go to their patio or so, when you can do it in a public area. It just take away that stigma of, like, having to go do it in an alley. And, you know, that's why the pens are nice sometimes mm-hmm. because you can even, like, if I'm in a restaurant, I'm over in the corner all by myself. I don't try to start trouble. But if there's no one around me and I can, you know, duck your head a little to take a quick hit of the pen. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you get to do it with your beer while you eat. Yeah. 
you know. Uh-huh. But um, I, uh, I started late in life smoking. I didn't smoke till later in life, but I certainly enjoy it now. Yeah. I think it's a great, you meet, it's just, just, I don't know. I don't think beer drinking, and I drink too, but I don't think it bonds you like pot does. You never, maybe because everyone drinks. You never say to someone, oh my God, you drink, I drink. And then, <laughs> and then your buddy's over in the corner, you know? Right. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Yeah. Have you ever uh, been to Jamaica? I haven't. Why? Oh, I'm just. Because I went in January. Oh, was it? Was it? How was? Just out of curiosity, because we're talking about marijuana. What? What, what are the laws there like? Uh, I, I did. Boy, they. Uh, we stayed in an all-inclusive place, and also several times went in like different. All we went all over. We took six-hour car rides to go see stuff, and uh, anywhere we were, it was everywhere, everywhere. In a in a restaurant. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh wow. yeah. There was there was cool. joints going around in uh, it was an outdoor patio but yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. legit restaurant where I mean there were kids 10 feet away probably yeah which I kind mean, of shocked yeah, me yeah maybe like, cuz well this is a little much yeah. the only time I ever really smoked it like literally while we were eating it was an outdoor patio in Portland and you know the uh it was the only time in my life you know w- w- even in cities where it's Okay, you yeah. can't do it in the restaurant. Right, right. They just happen to have a patio, and the guy goes, "Hey, if you guys want to light up, just be cool." And then we were eating, and we were able to smoke a little bit when the food came. You know, put it out. Yeah, we're like, "Wow, that felt like a, a, an adult, not <laughs> just being able to enjoy it like wine or yeah. beer or a mixed drink." Mm-hmm. I uh, I don't know. Is there anything else we should be covering, oh, Todd? I think we covered everything. I think I think we did everything. Every you feel good. We mentioned something in every minute of your life. I know, and I didn't try. I tried not to talk about the same thing I always talk about. We did it. I'm <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> I think it's good. I think and we put a wrap. I think we put a bow on this one. Well, there you go. Well, the good talking to you. You too. I, uh, I when we when we get off the mic here. Well, I'm going to ask you right now if you'll. Um, sign my book. Of course, that I had you have a hard copy or a soft copy. I want to know how much I got. <laughs> uh, this was a promo one that was sent to a radio station. I didn't oh, really? pay anything for Good. it. <laughs> that's the way it should be. Of course, I'll sign it. Thank you, Todd. I, th- I think that's it. I would say continued success, but uh, you don't need my help. I You're do. doing I great. Use all I can get. So, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good this talking to you. Thank you.